Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Agency for Agents, a podcast for real estate team leaders and independent brokerage owners looking to maximize profits, effectiveness, and gain freedom for their team and business. Your hosts, Christine Andreasen and Aaron Hendon, have been running one of the most successful real estate teams in the Seattle area for more than eight years. They know building a winning team means finding ways to empower, nurture, train, and develop individual agents to discover their own power, their own agency. On the podcast, Christine and Aaron interview thought leaders in real estate and personal growth to help you impact both your performance and your teams. We know it takes a lot, and leaders and brokers that crack that code reap the rewards of success greater than any they could ever achieve on their own. All right. Charles Boothius is our guest today. He is a seasoned commercial real estate agent over 30 years in the business and founder and president of Reformation Asset Management in Durham, North Carolina. He's a self-made man. Charles has built an incredible, thriving business. Currently, he has 500 doors under management with a post-project completion of 90,000 to 100 million. He's expanded across all types of investing and real estate experiences, which has made him the choice of 50% of all buyers and sellers in the Durham area over the last five years. Charles's insights into real estate and real estate investing is unparalleled, and his ability to simplify complex and often overwhelming topics is perfect. I really enjoyed the conversation with Charles. I look forward to your feedback about it. Let me know what you think. I love this conversation. There we go. All right. Well, hey, Charles, how are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes. Uh, Charles, I know we're all busy and to get time on anyone's calendar is a really big deal. And um, I appreciate that. And I know the people listening really do appreciate that. Why don't you just give us a short, you know, one minute elevator, you know, who you are and what you do. So, you, you know, get a little background for people. All right. Well, uh, Charles Boltheis. I've been a real estate broker since October of 1992, so I'm approaching 30 years. I started in San Diego, California, um, held concurrent licenses in Nevada and California from 1999 to 2005. Mm -hmm. Um, I switched from residential to investment real estate in the year 2000, and um, other than friends and family, I haven't really done much residential since then. The reason for switching over from a residential owner-occupied to multifamily commercial was I found that it was much more interesting for me to be involved in math discussions versus color palette discussions. Great. You know? They say that there's less emotion in investment than there is in owner-occupied, but that's kind of a myth. When yeah. it comes down to big emotional, you know, big money decisions, there's always emotions involved. Yeah, that's a good point. I moved from uh, San Diego to Durham in 2005. I felt that the market was topping out 
Um, I'm not originally from San Diego. I chose to start real estate in San Diego after I left the Army. And uh, so I looked around the country for a spot that had the same metrics that drew me to San Diego. And Research Triangle Park here in Raleigh-Durham is, is what matched up the best. Isn't that so great? I, yeah, I moved here. Hmm. I said, isn't that great? Uh, tell me about what those metrics are. What metrics were you looking for? What was the deciding, you know, how did sure, you? Sure. The the talk math to me, for, Charles, talk math to me. Uh, I was looking for federal and state funding on transportation. Mm. If they're spending a lot of money on highways, byways, freeways, that means they expect people to be moving there. I was using the metrics with regards to spending on public transportation. I was using metrics with regards to wage growth, population growth. And then I look at the actual uh, job types that are being offered in the region. Are they what I call old tech or future tech? And old tech would be what used to be here, which was tobacco and furniture and textiles. Future tech is biopharm, medical equipment, and software. And of course, now you see Apple and Google both have chosen to put new buildings and mm -hmm. outlets here in Durham, North Carolina. So um, I was a little ahead of the curve, but I made the right choice. That's great. I love that. I've never thought about using those metrics as a expansion opportunity. I think it's really super smart. It's great. Yeah. yeah good work. Looking here now, what we're seeing is our wages have increased from forty four thousand in in two thousand and five to a median now of about sixty five thousand. And the majority of those gains have occurred within the last five years. Mm -hmm. And the median income of the people moving here from the last two companies I mentioned is 118000 per right. year. So that's another factor, of course, is when you're looking at the affordability index, we are, of course, now are seeing the bond market accelerate ahead of the Federal Reserve with regards to the interest rates. And that's one of the three components, the other two being housing prices and income. Here, we're going to have continuing accelerated income and accelerated growth. So even with higher interest rates, we're not expecting that to impact our demand much. That's great. That's, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm over in Seattle and, you know, we've seen there is a direct correlation between the median home price and, you know, basically what 30% of the starting salary is at Amazon it's almost directly correlated, you know, that you can see that that is, and then with interest rates going up, you know, that is going to be a capper. We've already, you know, I mean, I don't think we've capped out the market. I don't think we're talking about a crash or, or even prices going down by any measure, but you can see the, um, the ceiling, you know, growth is going too slow, but the last five, yeah, the last five years here have been just catch up to that 30% of, the average Amazon employee's salary has moved the median from 500, 450,000 to 800,000, five years. When I first moved here, um, I was amazed to see properties that were selling at gross rent multipliers of two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. And that's ridiculous. But of course, at that time, the rents were 350, 400, 450 a month for a two bedroom apartment. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> that same two-bedroom apartment, granted in a more updated condition today, yeah. same two-bedroom apartment now rents out for twelve fifty. Right, um, but that's you know it's a three hundred percent increase in in cost in in ten years. Yeah, 
it's great that you you're in that wave, and that's a great way to begin to think about it. So, talk to me about your you know your process and how you uh, what you do because there was a st- statistic that really sort of blew my mind that fifty percent of buyer sellers go through your business. And how does that work? What's your process for attracting business? What's your process for attracting agents? Talk to me about your team. Well, with regards to the percentage of sales, as the number of reported sales of the multiple listing service, mm-hmm. and then adding up my sales um, individually as a, as a broker, mm-hmm. I have accounted my mathematically. I have equaled fifty percent of the production Great. of you know the sales. So how that happened is literally uh, being a big fish in a small pond. I came here with a progressive attitude and the and, and the luxury of history. Mm-hmm. already having been witnessed. So I saw what happened to San Diego. I participated in it. I saw what happened in Las Vegas and participated in it. So when I moved to Durham, I already had the playbook memorized. And it was just uh, me, me playing a game that I knew all the rules to that the rest of the folks were learning. It's awesome. Talked about those rules. Talk about what the playbook looks like. Well, it looks like this. Everybody starts off wanting a flip. I want to flip. I want to flip. I want to flip. You want to buy a house for $75,000 and you want to spend $50,000. You want to sell it for $200,000. So the first three to five years of a cycle, depending on how long the cycle is or until you've reached that point where there's no meat left on the bone, that is the market. So you've got all these clients that are getting into real estate investing and your job is to connect them with the right property and the right set of contractors and subcontractors to buy that property, get it rehabbed, get it flipped and get it sold. Well, then you're explaining to them the tax problems that come with flipping a house versus long-term capital gains when you've owned it for a period of time. So you explain to them how they can take their gains from the flip and invest that into multifamily, two to four units, which is still on a conforming loan terms. So it's got a really nice uh, manageable interest rate program. And so you transition the clients from flips into what is termed value add. Mm -hmm. Now, now we're at the point in the market where everybody is calling asking for value add. That's what you wanted two years ago. (laughs) Now, what you need to be looking at is condominium investigation. Well, what is that? Well, that's where you take existing inventory of apartments that are proximal to the downtown core where the demand and the pricing is highest. And you go in and you look at those properties and look at what it will take to convert them into a condominium. Now you can take that price per foot that you're buying as an investor with a renter in place, or maybe you're paying uh, $200 a foot, but resale to an owner-occupant is $350 a foot. That's just great. I mean, and the way you say it is clearly of someone who's got that experience that, that, you know, this is the playbook. And so where are you at now? You're at condominization, condominiumization. Yeah, developing Um, raw land into condos. Yeah, the final phase, or no, developing raw land into anything. Um, That is always the final phase. Land is the least, the last to appreciate, the first to depreciate. You know, as the cost of construction and existing housing becomes untenable, then you see the, the lack of demand for raw land, and then you know you've reached the peak of your market. Say that part again. Let me just, let me, I didn't quite follow it. How do you know you reached the peak of the market and what happens? When the cost to build mm-hmm. and the cost of the land mm-hmm. combined leave no profit right. in the development equation, people will stop buying vacant land, at which point, since that is the last 
type of real estate to appreciate and the first to depreciate, you've reached a point in the market where you are going to see a decline. Got it. And where and when you so let's look at that because you know that's certainly where I'm at where I live. But a part of that is just the supply chain issues at the, the cost of materials has right. gone to the point where you just can you, there's just no uh, you can build multifamily, but you can't build single family and have it be flippable, you know, have it resellable, really. So when you say the price starts to decline, talk about the math or the thinking behind that. What's the source of it going down versus it just stabilizing or going up more slowly? Right. Well, and that's the other factor. Um, when I say decline, I'm, I'm not referring to a decline necessarily pricing. Uh-huh. I'm referring to a decline in the volume of sales. So great. Perfect. In the opportunity yeah. set. Yeah, yeah exactly. great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the decline in values is usually related to a subsequent activity such as, you know, inflation, interest Recession. rates, right. exactly. frame, et cetera. Good. Okay, good. Well, then I'm totally tracking with you. That's good. Because, look, I'm, I don't know that I'm a color palette guy, but- Certainly talking about the math of it isn't the thing that makes me super happy. So, you know, cap rates and things like that confuse the hell out of me. And I always have to slow down and get it. But I followed everything you said. So I'm super proud of myself. Pat myself on the back. Yeah. When I moved to Durham, I brought my general contractor with me before I brought my wife. Oh, very good. (laughs) Nice. You know, uh, now the general contractor is still with me, but the wife isn't. Was that true? Yeah, it is true. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Well, there you go. That's great. I, I mean, it's a great story. What, tell me about your team and how many agents you have and what the process looks like in terms of attracting business and how you empower your team and how you keep them you know, satisfied and growing. And talk to me a little bit about that. The team is comprised of four divisions. And so we have a real estate brokerage, property management, construction, and then maintenance and landscaping. So we'll we'll take maintenance landscaping out because yeah. that's obviously there to support property management. But the reality is I set this up as an Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail by having all of these vertically integrated platforms into the business model. So I being a broker wanting to sell multifamily property and working on value add propositions needed lots of contractors and needed lots of property management support in order to make that happen. Because you buy the property, you vacate the property, you improve the property, and then you release the property. And then within a short period of time, you're reselling the property and then 31 into a higher density proposition. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't find property managers that wanted that job. They don't want to kick all the tenants out, manage a rehab, release the property, sell it and start all over again. They just mm-hmm. don't want to do that. So as a result, I had to create a property management company. And then as I exhausted the supply and availability of affordable contractors, because they all realized, you know, within this boom, how much money they could be making out on their own, um, I had to create a construction company and then hire my own employees so that we could keep that part of the process moving forward. As far as building, so the brokerage led to the need for the management, led to the need for the construction, led to the need for the maintenance and lawn care. The way I built the brokerage, and this is going to be so complicated that I hope everyone can follow, <laughs> I sent postcards. Yeah, right. To agents. No, I sent postcards to owners. Of oh. the I didn't recruit agents. I, I apologize. Um, I have, uh, outside of property management, I only have two people that work for me that actually have a real estate license. 
Got it. And they manage my social media. They do my mailings. They do research for me when I tell them to pull up different uh, properties based on metrics I'm giving them. I don't have other brokers that work for me showing property, selling property, et cetera. And you never did. So even in the height of whatever you were doing, it wasn't a question of you could list you know, all I, those. People. I, I had people that I knew that said, I'd like to learn how to do what you do. And I, you know, I'd say, if you want to work here, that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll teach you, but I'm not, I don't want to be a broker in charge developing other brokers. I'm happy doing what I do. And if you want to learn how to do what I do, you can tag along, but I'm not stopping what I do to train you how to be me. Yeah. Really clear. That's re- uh, it's just great because it's a real opportunity for people to, s- I-, I love your, Charles, the thing I'm struck with is the clarity with which you set this up and the, the uh, flow, the linear flow from this stage, to this stage, to this stage to get that done. Uh, you know, it's just really, really clear. And so there's not a lot of there's not a lot of fat. There's not a lot of it's benefit of hindsight. Like I said, I've been a yeah. broker for 30 years. Yeah. But I've only had this company for five years because but the last 25 have been in different markets reproducing this and, and then learning how to do this this way. And then is there. All right. Well, so, you know, what's next? What happens to you and the team? And where are you going? We solved the supply chain issue by uh, buying a piece of land, building a 300,000 cubic foot warehouse site, and then importing all of our goods in bulk directly from Asia so that we can realize that cost savings and become a direct importer. Um, and then we'll all create an outlet within that warehouse where I'll sell to the general public as well. So that, that's next on my list. I've seen a problem with the supply chain and that existed before COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have the contractor said, oh, that's on back order. Oh, this is that, you know, well, try buying 200 refrigerators at once. Right. It's not. So that's the next step is to build a warehouse and create a, a, a management system whereby we're ordering the product in advance, storing it on site, taking it from our site to the location where it's being implemented and then, you know, running the logistics of our own supply chain. Makes sense. That's great, Charles. That is just so so interesting to see how that has developed and how, you know, because we're always training our agents, you know, I'm in residential and have agents on the team, but the, you know, the, with EXP now, but started as Keller Williams and the, you know, Gary, you know, the whole MERA, mantra of you are your own business. You're running a business. And it's really, there's plenty of broker owners that we talk to that they're not even clear they're running a business. You know, it's not even as clean cut as you've made it, that there's really like these really clear lines of how this is a business. So it's just inspiring to me. It's just very, very clean. If you were looking, if someone, you know, broker owners looking at this and looking at starting a wholesale division, you know, or a, a investment division, they're, re- they're in residential, they're getting into, they're interested in getting into um, investment properties. Where would they start? What would you recommend that they do? I recommend that they initially talk to their existing client base, mm-hmm. uh, find out where they can uh, create a source of referral business from within their existing clientele and utilize that as their primary farm to start, especially at the end of the cycle that we've just gone through. There's a lot of people that bought that have a tremendous amount of equity. And if they refinance, they've lowered their payments. Maybe they want to take some of the money out. I'm not a huge fan of pyramiding up and creating a house of cards 
But if done properly, you can use leverage to grow your portfolio over time. Another thing is to uh, reach out to the millennials. I think that there's, you know, schools stopped teaching economics and we don't teach household finance. We don't teach any of that stuff to kids today. And as a result, they don't know the difference between term life insurance, whole life insurance. I had a, a, a woman I'm working with yesterday ask me what a deductible was on an insurance policy, you know, and why my deductible was $1,000 instead of zero like hers. Well, my monthly payment is much lower and I bank that money and I have $1,000 at the bank if I have an accident, right? Well, so it prompted me to think about putting together a list of things that millennials or people that have not done this can do to analyze their own household income to look at how they can create the down payment short term for their first investment property. And so the idea here is to come up with ideas where you can reach out to people that are not currently investors mm-hmm. and take them from the beginning and train them to become your clients. Yeah. Then beyond that, reaching out to an existing owner of multifamily or commercial real estate and presenting yourself to them as the broker that they should use the next time they do business will require you to not only identify who those owners are likely to be, i.e. don't just mail to every multifamily owner in your area that's mm-hmm. you know hunting with a shotgun. You want to use a rifle, scope it in, figure out who you think the most likely to sell in the next two years are, and make that the group that you're constantly marketing to. But be prepared when they call you. If they're a seasoned investor, you better understand those cap rates. You better understand that math, and you better be able to talk to them in the language they want to speak. Great. Both those ideas are great. And I love the first one is the opportunity because I'm big on education. I love educating people about anything that's going to empower them and give them agency in their life. And the idea of running a millennial financial education workshop where they can learn about that. You said they, we don't teach that in schools anymore. Did we? I mean, I'm 59. <laughs> my, my parents had it, but I didn't. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I do, I think there's, we could complain a lot about the education system. Well, yeah. here's a great example. Um, I, I talking to uh, millennials that are paying rent, Asking them about becoming a landlord when they're still a renter blows their mind. Yeah. But asking them, would you be interested in buying a duplex as a first-time home buyer and having 75% of your mortgage paid by your tenant? Yeah. I mean, it's there's a million ways to work it out if you're open to learning about how to do something. And I think that's just, you know, we do I do a lot of first-time home buyer classes with people. You know, and it blows their mind that there's down payment assistance programs available that they can get the state offers zero down and they just don't, you know, no one talks about it because they're not profitable to the banks. So the banks and most realtors don't touch them because it's a long burn and it's a lower price point. And, you know, so there's a financial disincentives to talking about it. But I do think there's a great marketing opportunity and a great opportunity just to, you know, if you're in the business with your heart to make a difference with people and to contribute, there's an enormous opportunity to educate people. I love that idea. It's great. I think that uh, when I started here five years ago, my median sales price was somewhere around $116,000. And that had to do with the fact that, you know, the values here were very low. Mm -hmm. Um, And they ramped up considerably as the incomes have ramped up. But, uh, you know, now the median sales price is, you know, somewhere north of a million dollars per transaction. 
So the same volume of transactions, or slightly less, but uh, tremendously higher dollar volume. And what you're talking about there is cultivating a farm on the front end, but understand on the back end, there's going to be major success. Totally. It's just, you know, you know, all those people are coming back. And I love the idea of farming your current database for potential investors and, you know, with that equity that they've built up. Yeah. And as the market begins to cap out, I think part of it is certainly in my area, we're beginning, just, just beginning to see it, but, you know, the market always follows the headlines by a couple of months and there's going to be a bunch of people now that are trying to get out at the top. They're going to increase the inventory, uh, which is going to slow the, slow the growth. And then you got the people that think the summer is the best time to sell, which is insane. It's it's madness, but you know, enough people think it, that it drives the price down. So very cool. All right. Well, you know, Charles, is anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Because I just love this conversation. Not really. I mean, if there's things that you think that you would like to know, if you're really, really interested in starting your own uh, investment firm, if there's a question you didn't think of to ask, I guess the only thing I would offer is that um, when I started out, I did exactly what I recommended to you. I did farm my existing clientele for investment clients. Um, and some of those people started out by buying a condo as an investment. So, you know, you may start small, but if you if you get into it, you'll build it. It's, you know, the best time to plant the tree was 100 years ago. And the second best time is today. So right. it's just get started. I think that's I think that's great, especially for any brokers that are looking to expand their business in that way. Very cool. All right. Well, then the last question I usually ask people is, what are you reading? What should I be reading? What have you read recently that's worth your time? I'm reading a very exciting book on low-income housing tax credits. Ooh, look at you go. (laughs) Um, Other than that, uh, Michael Dell had a new book he put out, um, Play Nice But Win. Play Nice But Win. The author again is who? Michael Dell from Dell Computers. Oh, right. Great. All right, great. That's what I needed. Play nice, but win. I'm just writing it down. All right, great. Oh, I reread Andy Grove's Only the Paranoid Survive. Oh, good. I don't know that one either. That's uh, that's uh, Intel? Intel, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. All right, good. That's another good one. All right, very good. All right, well, Charles, I appreciate you taking, you know, a half hour out of your day to talk to us and you know, well, I just really thank you. Now we have you as a resource. If people have questions, your contact information will be in the show notes. And, you know, I love the idea of networking and, and making yourself available to people. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you very much, Aaron. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Great. I appreciate it. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, too. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Abundant Life Podcast. Brought to you by Christine and Company and EXP Realty, the global online brokerage powered by top agents and cutting edge technology. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Your hosts have been award-winning brokers, Christine Andreessen and Aaron Hendon. For more on them, visit christineandcompany.com.